Someone You Should Know, a program about people you know and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, I welcome you to another edition of Someone You Should Know. As always, glad that you take the time either uh, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. to follow the show or to catch up with it at your own convenience. Uh, But I appreciate all the comments that we get week after week. Uh, I, I go out of my way to try and find a variety of different people to feature on the show uh, to present all kinds of different information, be it of an educational, a humorous, uh, or, or just a, a fun topic. And I think you'll, uh, you'll agree today is going to be a very interesting conversation. We are brought to you today by our good friend, Irving Chung, who is a franchise specialist with Fran Guidance and and uh, you can reach out if you have any questions. You've always wanted to know what franchising is all about, how much it might cost, whether you can partner with somebody else. Is it part-time? Is it full-time? Is it expensive? Is it, you know, uh, we're, you know, uh, reasonable? Irving's got the answers. You could just reach out to him and ask him. Tell him, I, I heard about it on someone you should know, and I want to know more about franchising, maybe for now or maybe for later. Irving is a great guy. He is a passionate patriot, and he is also a franchisee himself. So reach out. Irving Chung, nice guy. And here's another nice guy, which you probably have seen before on this very show in several different different capacities. My good friend, Paul Hendricks. Welcome, Paul. Glad to have you on the show again. Well, thank you, Stuart. I'm very, very glad to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, we we have talked because you you are uh, somebody that inspire me and so many others because uh, you uh, spent your your career in the military in the Air Force, uh, and then you you got out of the Air Force and you continue to pay pay it back because you uh, worked with with veterans and in, in assisting them through the uh, Veterans Center of North Texas. Uh, and uh, you have just been all about veterans probably most of your life, I guess it's fair to say. Absolutely. Something that if you, if you enjoy doing something, you know, why change? Yeah. And, and, and also I use the word pay it forward. And I think it's important for all of us that whatever we do in our lives and our careers and all, if we can take that knowledge and involvement and pay it forward to assist somebody else, it not only benefits the person that you help, but it benefits yourself also. Uh, we're, I'm going to talk, uh, start our discussion a little bit uh, with with your career in the Air Force because uh, you go back to the Vietnam era, especially as we were kind of closing out the Vietnam era. And I want you to share a little bit about your your career uh, in the Air Force. Well, uh, what a great opportunity! Thank you. So, uh, I'll start out right at the beginning in kind of a short order here. Uh, I had no plans to be in the Air Force, just uh, or any military. Uh, I was one of those lucky enough ones that got drafted out of uh, college. So I was in my, I was going to college and doing my very best to uh, stay out of the, the Vietnam War. And lo and behold, I got drafted. I had a low, low uh, draft number, lottery number. Uh, I had been going to school for too long, trying to avoid uh, going in, and so I got drafted. I, I got drafted into the Army. 
which would have been fine, but uh, I just couldn't see myself doing that. So somehow I finagled my way into the Air Force and uh, with the goal to get out of the Air Force as soon as possible. But one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, uh, flying B-52s. That was my first operational assignment. in B, it was in B-52s. I have stationed at Worcester Air Force Base in Massachusetts, which has since closed as an operational base. And from there, I went to uh, Carswell over here at Fort Worth. But uh, when I had first got to uh, Westover, uh, there were no airplanes there. They were all deployed uh, to uh, Southeast Asia. This was uh, in October of 1972. So uh, I checked into the base. I had some uh, training before that, of course. And uh, next morning, I was on a a KC-135 headed to uh, Guam. And so ended up in Guam, which is an interesting place to to, to live for a while. And uh, began uh, doing uh, sorties there, which was what's called uh, bullet shot at that time. So I joined up with the crew that uh, I was replacing somebody on. And uh, we flew just like many other of the B-52 crews. Uh, we flew out of Kwong, uh, uh South Vietnam, and uh, delivered uh, weapons just about every other day that I was there. So that was what that was called the bullet shot uh, program. At the point in time, I didn't really realize what was going on, but we were having a buildup in uh, Southeast Asia to uh, try to bring the North and South Vietnamese together to end right this war. So uh, there were some things that happened that were kind of interesting. Uh, Secretary Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, uh, was doing negotiations, and that didn't uh, pan out too well. So he said, look, uh, if you don't uh, cooperate here, what we're going to do is we're going to do some uh, serious bombing uh, on you in North Vietnam. And that actually uh, started uh, in uh, uh, December September 18th, 1972. So that began what we call uh, linebacker two. Linebacker two, uh, I flew on day number two. Uh, it was on the 19th of uh, December. Flew out of Guam uh, to North Vietnam over Hanoi. And uh, so it'd be 52s there. And then uh, following that mission, which is a long mission, by the way, it's about 21 hours round trip. In addition to being a long mission, it's, uh, you know, you haven't supported that type of combat. It's scary because uh, uh, you're bombing somebody and they're, they're trying to shoot you out of the air with uh, missiles. It becomes a, it's, you know, a real learning experience that gets your attention in a hurry. So uh, following uh, that first sortie, uh, the crew that I was on uh, I was moved to Utapal, Thailand, which is uh, not too far from Bangkok. And we got in a rotation package, and uh, we flew uh, additional uh, three different uh, night missions uh, over North Vietnam, uh, over Hanoi, where we uh, got the Nilite shot out of us. But fortunately, we were able to survive. And then we got into a uh, another sortie package over uh, another city in uh, Vietnam called Vinh, and we flew uh, three additional sorties here. Uh, this all uh, was taking place and some negotiations were continuing. And eventually, uh, the, the war came to an end and uh, we quit bomb, 
flying over North Vietnam. And this was uh, in uh, late December 1972 is what the ceasefire happened. Uh, kind of an interesting thing. Uh, well, one of our sorties, which is the day after Christmas, the 26th of December, uh, 1972, uh, we had flown into North Vietnam. We were, uh, uh, had been targeting, uh, some railroad yards is what, what we were assigned to do with us, along with, uh, quite a few other numbered, uh, B-52s. Uh, I was in a D package. So our Ds, uh, all carried 108 bombs. The Gs, uh, carried, uh, I think it was 56 bombs if my memory is correct. Uh. It was quite an ordeal of all of the airplanes uh, in the year at once. So we had uh, recovered uh, from our sortie in, uh, on the 26th of December. Uh, we were back at Unipal, and we heard on the radio that uh, one of the B-52s had uh, taken uh, a hit. So we had landed, and we were <clears throat> watching for the, the B-52 to come in. Uh, it, it uh, sustained uh, two uh, SA-2 missiles in the wing. One of its wings had lost controllability. And uh, they should have ejected over the, the water, but that didn't happen because uh, the gunner had sustained significant uh, injuries. So the crew made a decision to uh, try to get back to uh, Utapau where the better, better medical facilities were available. So we're sitting there on in our parking spot. Uh, getting ready to uh, go back to our for our debrief, and we can see the airplane coming in, and he was all over the side uh, trying trying to maintain his controllability. We thought, wow, he's just going to make it, but we were wrong. The airplane didn't make it. He crashed on the end of the runway, and uh, of course that was a, a large explosion right in front of our eyes here. And it resulted uh, four of the uh, six crew members uh, died in that crash. Two of them su survived uh, miraculously. Uh, that was kind of a, uh, in addition to being scared to death because you're getting shot at. Uh, seeing people's lives vanish right in front of you is, is, is really an experience. Uh, linebacker, to me, was a uh, major change in my life. It made me understand uh, what real combat was all about, not just dropping bombs over South Vietnam where there was no threat, to actually dropping bombs of you know, someone shooting back at you, which is kind of what you expect to, in warfare to start with. Understanding the, the utter chaos that goes on in those types of environments uh, where if you're not scared, uh, you're not prepared. Uh, you just need to understand the environment that you're in and uh, the threat that's uh, out there. Of course, you're, and, you're and the mission, mission that you have to follow. <laughs> you have no choice. You just have to go. So it was really uh, 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 so caused a lot of self-inspection and uh, caused a lot, a lot of good thinking to go on there. And I had planned to get out of the Air Force. Uh, these missions actually gave me uh, the courage and the desire to continue to stay in the Air Force. And uh, not not to necessarily fly, but I just saw saw the big things that were going on, and uh, in lieu of staying for six years uh, like I had planned, uh, I spent uh, twenty one and a half years in the Air Force, not flying, but doing other things which I thought were very, very beneficial. Did you, did you enter the Air Force as an as an enlisted uh, uh, person? 
happened, and then and then later went for uh, uh, OCS or something. No, um, I um, went to uh, what's called uh, OTS, Officer Training Squadron, Officer Training Squadron. Right. And then uh, uh, graduated from there as a uh, second lieutenant, and uh, went on into flight school, and way I went. Uh, now, if I would have gone in the army, that in uh, West Westover. Right. So you you got commissioned where was that in, in Massachusetts when you when you first went into the Air Force? Well, that was my first uh, duty assignment was in Massachusetts, which is near uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, right. A very beautiful spot, very cold in the winter. Yeah. That's what I experienced. Oh yeah. Uh, my my commissioning was at uh, uh, Lackland Air Force Base. That's where uh, OTS was at that time, and uh, we we uh, were trained in World War II barracks, new air conditioning. Uh, in, in San Antonio, uh, it's kind of nasty in the summertime. Yep. So so you you uh, then left the left uh, the service when? What year? What year did you uh, uh, were you discharged? So I retired in October of uh, 1990. So I have been out of the Air Force for quite 33 years. Hard to think about. Yeah. Went in, went in in May of 1970 and then retired in uh, October of uh, 1990. So uh, 20 or pay 20 and a half years. And then, and then. Back in 1990, then what did you do after after the Air Force? Well, I uh, went to work for uh, uh, Rockwell uh, International, and it was eventually right. was bought by the Boeing Company. And uh, my last uh, assignment in the Air Force, I was on the uh, development development test team uh, on the B-1 bomber. I had flown the B-52s early on. And then I got involved in some intelligence community and, and acquisition business. And at the end of my career, I was uh, selected to be part of the uh, uh, the B-1 test team. And so that's what I did at the end of my career. And was actually responsible for delivering the first uh, B-1 bomber to uh, Dias Air Force Base in uh, 1985. Yeah. That had to have been in, incredible because the B-1 bomber was like, that was the state of the art at the time. Uh, and I mean, the B-52s, I remember there was, it was the size of a small city, uh, an absolutely huge uh, aircraft. And, and you said that the, the B-52 the that you flew dropped a, a payload of, a, of over a hundred uh, bombs at a time. Correct, 108 500 pounders. Yeah, do do the math, folks. That's a big, big plane carrying a heavy, heavy load. Yeah, you and know, and well, another thing is kind of interesting. Uh, when we flew B fifty two missions, we always had uh, uh, three aircraft flying together, so we had three ship cells. So 100, 108 times three, so it's just three hundred and twenty four bombs, all basically in the on the same target. So uh, people on the ground or whatever's on the ground there didn't have a whole lot of chance. Right. Uh, amazing. All right. So 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 you you spent time at at Rockwell and you spent time uh, on the B one bombers uh, and all and and it for somebody that 
really kind of never wanted to stay in the military. You stayed a long time. And then, and, and, and then afterwards you kind of continued to stay around the, the, uh, the air industry. So that's correct, Stuart. My, uh, my goal was, and ended up being, uh, uh, to be an engineer. So that's what I was working on in college. And, uh, I was able to get the deferment, uh, and stay out of the army and, and graduate by engineering. I was, uh, at that time was a double E. And, uh, so when I went in the air force, I, I told the recruiter, uh, they graciously let me join the air force and said, Hey, what, what I want to do is become an engineer. Well, that's fine and dandy, but, uh, uh, what you're going to be doing is flying airplanes and, uh, so, or, or you can go back to the army. And, uh, so I said, okay, but I'm getting out as soon as I can. And, uh, it just turned out that, uh, uh, the experiences, uh, and the opportunities I had in, especially in the intelligence community were valuable. I parlayed all that together. And, uh, when I went to work for uh, Rockwell, eventually Boy, uh, I was an engineering manager of what's called program manager, uh, for major programs. And so I had uh, lots of responsibility, uh, lots of great opportunity and enjoyed the heck out. Then, then how did all of this experience and involvement with the air force then lead you to, uh, the veteran center of North Texas? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so one day I was, uh, in a meeting and someone said, Hey, weren't you in the air force? I said, yeah, well, you're a veteran, right? And I said, yeah, I'm a veteran. Uh, well, there's going to be a meeting, uh, to talk about veterans benefits and what we can do to help veterans. This was about, uh, 2012. I had retired from the Boeing company, uh, at the end of 2011. And, uh, I was involved in a few chambers of commerce. So people, uh, or getting out of the, the military, uh, Desert Storm and, and the Gulf Wars. And there was a lot of confusion, a lot of concern. Uh, the VA especially was taking a lot of uh, uh, negative hits. And uh, so people wanted to raise money and do something. And I said, well, I'd, I'd be glad to help you, but we have to figure out, you know, get organized here. We can't just try to raise money. You got to have a plan and, and all that. One thing led to another. And, uh, my organizational skills, I think, took over, and that's how we uh, ended up defining what we wanted to do, put a program together, and then uh, executed that program for, in my case, for nearly 10 years uh, as a volunteer uh, and leader for the Veterans Center of North Texas. Yeah, and, and we, we have spoken about that before on a previous show, uh, and the the one thing about that organization was that uh, there was no overhead. Uh, everyone was a volunteer. And so every dollar that came in went to help uh, veterans, whether it was helping them with relocation, uh, helping them find a, a career move because they could use the center to work on their uh, their resume skills. Uh, and all, or, or even if it was just helping with a tank of gas so they could get from point A to point B. Oh. And uh and you, and you operated it through through uh, uh, the pandemic, which really took a hit because a lot of the regular programs to raise funds were just non-existent because you couldn't hold public public uh, get-togethers. But 
I, I commend you and your your staff. You persevered through that and really uh, made made a dent in the uh, the ability to help our veterans. Well, well, thank you, Stuart. Uh, we closed our doors, I think, two days during the pandemic, and we finally decided that uh, you know we were here to serve the community, and not serve ourselves, and uh, so we we opened our doors again. Uh, we put some barricades up, uh, you know, these plexiglass bar uh, barricades. We all put our masks on and continue to serve our community. Uh, and I think we did make a difference. Uh, was Ab absolutely, Ab absolutely. Uh -huh. and, and, and a lot of the people that were able to take advantage of the services you provided turned around to pay it forward and help other veterans uh, and also to volunteer with the organization. So. You know, you you've been in the Air Force. You've been with with uh, Lockheed, uh, with a uh, 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 Boeing, and and all. Then you're with the Veterans Center. Now, this is the guy who really didn't want to spend much time in the military or around uh, around the military lifestyle. But now you're now you're what thirty some years into into it. Yep. Uh, and I think you earned you, you kind of earned your retirement, Paul. But uh, but you you still haven't taken it, have you? No, no. Um, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of things, and uh, I guess people that like to do community work and and, uh, and reach out are always busy. Uh, and I can't imagine myself just sitting around. Uh, most recently, uh, I've become very active in what's called the Air and Space Forces Association, or AFA for short. And uh, I am a uh, in elected position uh, there, uh, national director uh, at large for the Air and Space Forces Association, and I, I've been a life member of the uh, AFA for over 50 years, uh, and it's a good organization. I found opportunity to uh, continue to apply some of my uh, uh, information skills uh, to help that organization out. I'm one of 14. Uh, national director, so it's not a unique position for me. But I am a voting member of the board, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, this is this could be a great opportunity. I see you got my airplane up there, my B-1. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, but the role I'm playing on the uh, uh, the board today for the EFA is I'm, uh, I run what's called the uh, advocacy. I'm the chair of the advocacy committee. And so we are, uh, our role there is to advocate for uh, resources to support the Air Force and the Space Force. And if I could spend a moment discussing what those organizations are. Please, please do. Uh, now, the Air Force, which uh, we classically remember are uh, the elements uh, that uh, you know, for flying aircraft, air breathers, uh, missiles for the, uh, nuclear defense, uh, are the, the two primary efforts here. Uh, of course, uh, the aircraft can either be conventional or, or nuclear uh, capable. Uh, and then historically, there's always been uh, a role for the Air Force in space. President Trump, uh, with I'm sure some, some guidance, uh, issued a plan in about 2019, I think it was 18 or 19, to create a new uh, service called the Space Force. So the Space Force, uh, I think, that, I believe they, they uh, were commissioned 
in uh, 2019. The Space Force is like the, the Marines to the Navy. Space Force is, is like, uh, is, is an element of the Department of the Air Force. So the Department of the Air Force has the classical Air Force that we know, and now the Space Force. There are two different services uh, that fall underneath the Secretary of the Air Force. So the Air Force Association, which I've been a member of and support, uh, uh, has changed their title to uh, try to fully embrace uh, both elements of the Department of the Air Force. So we are now the Air and Space Forces, in the plural, uh, association. So we represent uh, the classical elements of uh, the United States Air Force. And we also represent the very uh, up and coming and uh, highly dominant uh, space force. Now, I, uh, I think we all know a little bit about space, uh, but to be honest with you, I have really did not have a whole lot of background other than uh, you know the, what, the intuition of satellites and that sort of thing. Uh, I have learned a lot about space force. Um, so a lot going on. A lot of, if uh, if we lost the capability today, right now, to command in space that's above us, you and I wouldn't be talking because we are dependent upon satellites. That's right. Very, very. And and what's interesting, and I really learned about it because I started to to delve into it a little bit when we first talked. Uh, you know, I thought that the Air and Space Forces Association was a brand new agency, but it really was started back at World War II, uh, when when really wasn't the the Air Force was originally the Army Air Corps, uh, and then it became the the Air Force. So the Air Force Association goes back to World War II times, and it has just morphed over the years and grown and expanded a lot of their capabilities. Uh, and you said that you've been involved with them for many, many years. So you have watched that growth come up to today where it now is, is and very recently became the Air and the Space Forces Association. That's correct. And so uh, the goal here uh, is, to, is to remain relevant uh, to the community that we serve. And so, uh, that, indeed, that's why the uh, the name change and the focus has changed. So, in the Air Force, we have uh, Air Force is made up of airmen. The Space Force, however, is made up of guardians. So, if you saw a person that was in the Space Force, and you could recognize them by their name badges and insignias, and also their uniforms are different, uh, you would address them as, as guardians. And like in the Air Force, we have uh, wings and squadrons. In the uh, Space Force, those wings are called deltas. So they have a, a different organization, different nomenclature uh, to, to make, make this relevant. But uh, the Space Force is highly dependent upon the Air Force for uh, a lot of what, what I call the infrastructure. Uh, CBPO, the uh, administration, the hospital, functions, uh, security guards, those are all Air Force people that are supporting the Space Force. So uh, just like on the Navy bases, you see a lot of Marines uh, uh, doing a lot of work with the uh, 
Navy. So it's a very collaborative relationship. Right. And, and, and often there's some crossover between the Coast Guard and the, uh, and the Navy also uh, uh, in, interacting with each other. Uh, yeah, the first, I, you know, I, I didn't realize the first president of the, uh, the uh, uh, Air Force Association was uh, uh, Doolittle. Ah, yes, General Doolittle. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Doolittle. He founded the um, AFA, I believe it was 1946. Yeah. And uh, uh, his uh, edict was right after World War II, we have got something going here. Let's keep this going and let's support uh, the Air Force through the Air and Space Force, excuse me, the Air Force Association. Uh, even in those early days, they were talking about things in space. They may not have had as much command on it as we would today, but uh, indeed, that's what uh, General Doolittle was doing. And, and every president has has been involved in the Air Force Association in, in reviewing and enhancing the uh, the mission of that that association and that that I think is uh, pretty incredible in itself absolutely so it just goes to show you um, our political uh, uh, leaders are, are very interested in all of the associations to uh, keep them strong keep our veteran community uh, engaged because there's a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge available uh, that can be applied uh, both into our civilian as well as military community from that which is really a good way to go yeah so uh, in in addition to that now now you're also uh, we're, we're coming up on it it's it's hard for me to even believe uh, the uh, the 50th anniversary of the Vietnam War uh, I, I'm a Vietnam veteran myself, and it's just hard to believe that it was that long ago. Uh, but the, the, this year, this year we're commemorating the 50th uh, anniversary of the signing of the Paris uh, uh, Peace Accord, and all. And uh, you're not one to sit back. You're actively involved in in uh, the program for for this. So please share the information about what's coming up in March. Well, uh, let me kind of uh, take a back, step back here. Uh, so the Air and Space Forces Association uh, globally, of which there's uh, about 200 chapters around the world, uh, we are trying to recognize, celebrate, and honor uh, the end of the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War officially ended on uh, January 28, 1973 with the signing of the peace, the Paris Peace Accords. Now it took a couple of years to get all of the resources out of Vietnam and get, get things closed down. So this celebration will go on between now and 2025, from the beginning to the end to the very end, if you will. Uh, so the AFA is uh, encouraging uh, chapters all across the nation to have uh, recognition and celebration. We had one a couple of weeks ago uh, over in Linden, Texas. And I'd like to just briefly talk about that because it was a, it was a milestone event. Uh, that event happened um, uh, in the middle of January, and it happened in Linden, Texas. And the reason it happened in Linden, Texas was the last enlisted man 
to die in Vietnam is buried there. So uh, on, now on January 27, 1973, in Da Nang, you might have heard of Da before, uh, it came under a uh, mortar attack, and uh, Sergeant John Rucker uh, was asleep in his barracks, and uh, unfortunately he died during that attack. So he was the last known American military person to die. He was also, coincidentally, a uh, member of the Air Force. So we had a celebration there uh, the middle of January. Uh, it was quite a, uh, uh, quite a celebration to recognize the uh, men and women uh, that supported the Vietnam uh, War and remember the 58,000 men and women uh, that lost their lives and also specifically to recognize Sergeant uh, Rucker who lost his life there. His family's still there, by the way. His, believe this or not, his mother is still there. Wow. Uh, 50 years later. So, yeah. Uh, uh, Lydian is a small town and they roll out the red carpet for us. Now, uh, we have uh, another one coming up here in Dallas. And remember, we're trying to have these all over the country. We have another major event coming up on March uh, the 21st. And I'm hoping that everybody that uh, hears about uh, what we're talking about here today plan to come. This event is going to be uh, held at the Frontiers of Flight uh, Museum, which is right near uh, Love Field. It's going to be uh, held from 10 o'clock until noon on uh, this a Tuesday at the Frontiers of Flight Museum. Uh, there'll be plenty of seating and plenty of parking available. And uh, we have uh, uh, five or six different organizations uh, which are sponsoring this event. And this is open to not just Air Force. It's open to uh, veterans of all services. They don't necessarily have to be a Vietnam veteran by any means because we think it's important for the younger folks especially to remember Vietnam, remember maybe their... Uh, uh, relatives that either participated or uh, uh, perished in this war. Right. And it, it wasn't a pleasant war. It was, did not get public uh, uh, praise. Yeah, it was, it was probably the most unique war that we were ever involved in uh, from, a, from a, public, a public acceptance and involvement standpoint as well as what the political and military ramifications were. Uh, it's the uh, only war, the first war that uh, was covered live uh, on television. And uh, obviously the news can turn things around any way they want. Uh, men and women that fought in that war were doing what they were told to do. That's well, right. So uh, I felt really bad for the folks that didn't get recognized. that They were just doing their job and doing it well. Right, and 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 most of us came home very, very unappreciated and unrecognized. So this is an opportunity for us to recognize uh, the men and women that participated uh, in this war. There are over three hundred, excuse me, three point four million men and women that uh, were involved in this uh, in the war. Twenty years worth. Uh, we lost 58,000 uh, in a weather. Yep. And uh, what's kind of interesting, here in Texas, we have over 400,000 
400,000 Vietnam veterans lived in Texas. Unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, obviously we can't support 400,000 at our meeting, but we want to recognize them uh, virtually as well as, well as in person uh, at this event. And, and this event is going to be uh, here in uh, Dallas at uh, Dallas Love Field uh, on, on the 21st of March. Uh, but for those that are listening and watching from elsewhere around the country, you said that there are going to be uh, these commemorations around the country. Uh, what is the best way for people to, to find out, you know, where there is going to be a commemoration uh, in and around their city? So that, that's a great uh, question. Uh, the best thing to do uh, today is to uh, go to the AFA website, and that's afa.org, and look at events. That's the best way to get the global picture. Uh, again, this is not an Air Force activity. The Air Force Association just happens to be the catalyst to make it happen. Uh, it could be any service, uh, any community sponsoring it, but we'll try to have a list of all of the activities as they continue to evolve over the next couple of years. And the, the web, the website, which, uh, which is up on the screen right now is just well worth visiting because there is just so much information, uh, on, on past events, current events, uh, future events uh, about membership and, and, uh, so much of what, uh, the, uh, Air Force Association, uh, did originally how it morphed through the years uh, and how it uh, eventually became the uh, the Air and Space Forces Association uh, today. And uh, boy, the list of uh, of uh, people involved on the board and everything is a real who's who uh, of the military too. There's a lot of of uh, experience and knowledge uh, in and among the group, yourself included. Well, thank you. I I feel proud to be with. The other leaders, I guarantee you that. A lot of experience, a lot of senior ranking officers. Uh, I retired too soon to become a senior ranking officer, but uh, it's, it's a privilege to be with them. It's a privilege to be part of the board and help provide uh, steering and direction uh, for our association. But the most important thing is to reach out to our uh, community and invite them to come to this upcoming event here in Dallas. This is not a Dallas celebration. This is a North Texas celebration. It just happens to be convenient uh, to be at uh, Frontiers of Light Museum at Love Field on the 21st of March. There's no charge to come, by the way. And, and no charge at all. Amazing. Uh, you know, this is, this is that, that. And the Frontier of Light Museum is, is quite a place in itself. So it's a wonderful place to, wonderful have this. Uh, the information is scrolling across the screen. Uh, if you uh, have any questions, you can reach out to Paul uh, directly. He'll answer those questions and and uh, assist you if you want to get involved in any way or you just want to be a participant at the event uh, and find out a little bit more about the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Air and, uh, and Space Forces uh, Association. Uh, you're, you're now jumping into the deep end with all of this. And, uh, and getting involved, uh, what's what's next on Paul Hendricks' agenda? I mean, he, well, I you just, you're a glutton for punishment, aren't you? Well, Stuart, I my uh, you know, in addition to focusing on these types of things and the Collin County Veterans Coalition, which I run, uh, 
we we want to really advocate, uh, and that's my primary uh, goal here: advocate for veterans' benefits here in Texas. So be sure that our veterans in Texas here are taken care of at the state level, and also uh, advocate for uh, the systems, the benefits, the services uh, at the national level for our uh, active duty personnel and the weapon systems that they fly and operate. Right, so I, I've had head over heels on that. And, and that's why I say, folks, you don't have to be from Texas to be involved in this association. Uh, and uh, wherever you are, if you served in the Air Force, uh, you want to just be a part of a great military organization, go online, learn a little bit about it, and uh, and reach out if you have questions. Paul, you are a real inspiration to to our veterans, uh, both, both having been served as, in, in our military and also but but I have often said just paying it forward by, by devoting the rest of your life to making sure that veterans are understood and recognized and honored uh, and, and uh, uh, just so much a part of our, our lives. Well, sure, I, thank you. Thank you so much. I have one thing to say to you. Welcome home. Well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. And, and, and I hope to have the opportunity uh, later, later this month uh, to be at the event and shake hands with uh, my brothers and sisters and welcome them home as well. And Paul, thank you for what you have done and and continue to do for our, our military uh, and for our brothers and sisters who have worn the uniform to de defend our country. I thank you very, very much. Thank you, and, Stuart. I enjoyed being with you today. Well, I, I end the show by saying be yourself because everyone else is taken and Paul Hendricks certainly is already taken. Uh, so thank you for being a part of another episode of Someone You Should Know. And again, thank you to my good friend, Paul Hendricks, and then make it a good day. Thank you. Someone You Should Know. You should know.